Welcome to the Old Galway Diary podcast. Each week, my colleague Tom Kenny and myself, Ronnie O'Gorman, produce a page in the Galway Advertiser with Tom's photograph and a story from Galway's past. We contact each other beforehand to see what has been published that week. And our podcast today is That Conversation. Tom, good morning. Honey, how are you? I'm good, Tom. But listen, what did you do to us last week at all at all? Uh, I looked at your photograph and I looked at it several times. And then uh, a little little voice told me that I might be taken for a ride. I'm not sure. But um, it was confusing, your photograph. Well, it was very interesting. Um, <clears throat> the first call I got was from a man who reads the column every week. He cuts it out every week. And he said that the advertiser made a very bad slip up this week. <laughs> you know what they did? Oh, they reversed yeah. the photograph. Yeah. Blame the I printer. Said, well, thank yeah. you. And then I got several other emails and all I suggested to them was read the last line. And, uh, I'm yes, glad I to say I got several replies saying I feel like an Egypt. You know? But it was a bit of fun. And it was great. It was great because all it looked... of the they were all in correct order, by the way. The yeah, uh, it was just shops. quite confusing. Yeah. It looked very authentic. It really did. It looked like a street in Galway. I, I was familiar with it, but I was just bamboozled. So anyway, yes, so well done. And of course, it was yeah. April the first. Well, that was the whole point. Yeah, I know. It yeah. was April Fool's Day, and so very good. We're even at our age entitled to a bit of fun now and then. <laughs> oh, indeed, we have a lot of fun, actually. Yeah, I'm enjoying yeah. these podcasts as well, Tom. Uh, good, good. Yeah. Good. Listen now. So, listen now. What are you going to do for us this week? Hopefully, it won't be an April Fool. Well, no, I have a very nice story, actually, this week. Almost uh, exactly, I wrote an article about the hangar ballroom and about the Salt Hill Development Organization. Indeed. This was an organization of B&B owners, hoteliers, public and business in Salt Hill. And they were very concerned that nothing being done to help and develop Salt Hill. And they made quite a lot of demands of the corporation. Uh, it was very interesting. They were looking for a pleasure pier. They were looking for the improvement of the promenade road. Yes, uh, a school in Salt Hill, oh. uh, a whole lot of things like that. They they were saying there was not one. Boat what date was this, Tom? What date approximately? This was in the thirties, okay, and forties. Right, there was right. not one boat with oars which could be used to rescue a person in difficulty. Ooh, there were no yeah. sanitary accommodation along the promenade. Mm-hmm. Bathers had to undress, leave their clothes on the shore, and climb over rocks to get to the sea. There were no signs to indicate the depth or the conditions of the tide, etc. And what they did was they leased the hangar ballroom from the corporation and they ran it for a number of years and uh, they made a lot of money. Uh, They paid the the corporation quite a lot of rent and they paid them, uh, let me see, in, in terms of rent, uh, it was over £5,000. Now, this is in the 1940s. Oh, yeah. And it was they, then they handed over their profits, all of their profits, which amounted to 
£579.9 and sixpence to the corporation. But this was conditional on the corporation using all of that money in the development of Salt Hill. Nice, brilliant. Now, yeah. Johnny Cox was the resident band leader <laughs> in the hangar. A great and, man. Yeah. yeah, indeed, indeed. <clears throat> and uh, they wrote songs about him. And I had written about this 10 years ago. And then a couple of weeks ago, I got an email from the Isle of Man, from a gentleman called Al Guest, uh, who said he had the record of what I was talking about. <laughs> and so he sent me over a 78, <clears throat> Uh, an old 78. We had a little problem, but however, we had a couple of guys who took care of us, Pat Cantwell and his friend took care of us, and uh, so it's recorded, and it's Ooh. going to go out on Galway Bay FM on Sunday with on Jimmy Higgins's um, yes. wonderful Sunday morning programme, full yeah. of nostalgia, old records and so on. I love and that. Yeah. the If I can just give you some of the words of the song, yeah. they're very simple. But they were obviously very effective. Dance with cock, cocks and move the rocks. Come and listen to the band and you will help improve the strand. <laughs> Trade the light fantastic here and you will make the foreshore clear. <laughs> Dancing feet can lend a hand to treat us to a fine strand. Dancing in the Salt Hill Pavilion makes the foreshore look a million. Every half crown at the door is a rock off the shore. That's brilliant. Think about back to our, our youth in Salt Hill, there was yeah. an awful lot less beach there than there is now. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is thanks to these men of and women of vision and uh, application as well and wanting to improve their local environment. And it's very impressive legacy they'd have left us, really. It is indeed. And that that association developed into another development association. I think they had the Salt Hill Princess competition. They had a lot of good things going there about 30, 40 years ago. But, Tom, I want to tell you about the hangar. The hangar was uh, originally uh, an aircraft hangar, I think, uh, built was, in Salt yeah. Hill Park big square building, a bit like the black box, only I think it was painted yellow or something like that. But it was, the reason yeah. why it's so big in my consciousness was because that is where my mother met my father. My mother cycled to Galway from Skibbereen in West Cork during race week with her friend Marjorie. And uh, wow. they came in their bicycle. They stayed in the B&B. &B, they locked the bicycles and they went to the dance on race night uh, as the hangar, and that's where my mum met my dad. So, <laughs> wonderful. My father used to say, it's a "Good job she didn't ask me to walk her home." <laughs> They'd be still on the road. Yes, it was the corporation bought it in 1922 oh, uh, from the behest of three of the councillors. Others in the council felt it was going to be a kind of a white elephant, but it turned yeah. out to be the reverse. Yes, and uh, very shortly after they installed it. Uh, and put it in, um, they decided to put in a dance floor. And the floor that actually was in the hangar, the dancing floor, was regarded as one of the finest dancing floors in the whole ah, country. There you go. There you go. Uh, and yeah, it was a very special place. Yeah. So at the they same time, a big, a big yeah. door in yes. front, which they could slide across. And uh, yeah, the it, just inside the door, there was the ticket office. And <clears throat> Over the ticket office, there were a number of windows. And when the crowds 
would be very big. They would open up these windows and um, to let some of the steam out, I suppose, really. <laughs> and we, as young teenagers, we used to climb up the back of the door and we would be hanging off. It was all a kind of a grid, a metal grid thing. Yeah. And we would be hanging off the door, looking in the window at people like Chubby Checker and Jim Reeves and the Capital Show Band. And we would be kind of hanging off, dancing to ourselves and thoroughly yeah. enjoying it. And in fact, Chubby Checker actually saw us. This was the man who invented the twist. Yes. He actually saw us and he wanted us to be brought in. <laughs> we, were, we were about 13 or 14. Know, so anyway. Yeah, that's just, just great. The hangar presumably then was an actual uh, aircraft hangar. Uh, must have been the yes. Royal Flying Corps or whatever it was at the time. It yes. was the RAF. The RAF. The RAF. Right. And after the truce. The Flying Corps uh, became the RAF. Yes, go on. Yeah, it was sold. Yeah. That's just. And it's cool. still in yeah. Kilcolgan. I think it's used as a horse training place now. Really? Oh, my yeah, it is indeed, yeah. So Salt Hill was quite booming at the time. You had the, the um, what you would call it, Sea Point Ballroom. You had the hangar. So, I mean, those two very large venues and uh, were. race week. And we had the, you know, Tofts Fun Fair as well. That was at Air Square. Gosh, there was a lot of attractions there for young holiday makers, as they used to be called. To come was, to Galway, even in those days, there really was, yeah. At the back of uh, the hangar during the summer, there was a fit-ups company called McFadden's. Yes, I remember their tent. And uh, they were hugely popular. Yeah. Hugely popular. They were. They used and to as you talk about your mother's yeah. bicycle, <laughs> there was a Cayley every Sunday night in the hangar ballroom, and they came from mines around. Oh, and yeah. there used to be six, seven, eight hundred bicycles parked outside the ballroom. <laughs> I mean, I remember them. I remember them. It was an amazing sight. Yeah, that's lovely, Tom. Yeah. So Salt Hill, well, today, of course, Salt Hill is even better than it was then as regards beaches and, uh, you know, facilities for changing and uh, all of that. It, it really is a magnificent resort. I love the prom. And for the last... Yeah. Weeks I've been walking the prom every day for the last year, actually, and uh, it's a wonderful place. It's very sociable. Everyone's keeping a reasonable distance, and uh, it's very sociable. There are musicians playing music. There's people selling coffee, and uh, yeah, it's all very nice. And it's been a wonderful escape during this lockdown, which has been quite miserable. But yes. anyway, listen, I am doing something really quite interesting as well. Um. Okay following the footsteps of Roger Casement. And he really has got me totally interested. Now, I can't buy a biography of his by Brian Inglis. It's the only biography I can find mentioned. I don't have time to read it anyway and to write about it. But by chance, I was given a very interesting book that's just come out now called Voices from the Irish Free State. And uh, the editors are Owen and Neve O'Doherty, whom I, I know you know them well. Uh, Neve has written several books on Irish, the Connemara Pony, and then written a book about her dad, Professor Lauros O'Neulon. I think right. you would have known him. I know him particularly. He was a lecturer in economy. Or he was an economist. And um, he was founder of the um, European 
movement in Galway, of which I was a member, and I liked Laros very, very much. Um, and then uh, uh, Owen O'Darty, when he retired from medicine, got involved in uh, bringing to life the uh, 1916 through his friend Liam O'Brien, and he wrote uh, Insurrection Memories, Essays of an Irish Rebel, all about O'Brien. Very, very good. He was a professor of Romance Languages in Galway, uh, fought in the College of Surgeons in Dublin, and was one of the men that, you know, 1916, and he borrowed his way from one building to another by knocking holes in the walls. Memorably knocking a hole in a wall and coming into a sitting room where a justice was sitting down and remained sitting down and his wife on the opposite chair and a very upset domestic servant <laughs> saying, what on earth are you doing? The judge never commented as the men went through, good morning, good morning, or good afternoon, whenever it was, and walked through to go out the door. And that was, but anyway, Roger Casement, um, still very strong, got very involved, as you know, uh, he, he had an extraordinary career uh, in the British Colonial Service, was knighted for his work on the treatment of the natives in the Congo and in the Amazon by these appalling rubber barons that just treated the, the natives as slaves, providing they continue to work harvesting this valuable resource of, of rubber. Anyway, he, on leave, he got involved with the Irish language and ended up in Town National School, which I've written about in recent weeks. But I didn't know then. He retired shortly after that and really offered his services full time to the Irish volunteers and got to, to know the various personalities involved. He organized and paid for the Hoth gun running. Uh, in right. July 1914. I didn't know now he did that. And that was in answer to the Ulster volunteers that had armed themselves months and months beforehand and had big parades with machine guns and saying, you know, Ulster will fight rather than they do anything rather than to submit to home rule. So the answer of the Irish volunteers, which was set up in Dublin, he brought in weapons which gave them a bit of clout and uh, was very substantial uh, weaponry, um, f uh, you know, haul that he brought in by Erskine Childers, Alice Stoppard, Stopford, I think it was, Bulmer Hobson and some other personalities. Anyway, then they immediately after that, um, Casement was a very impetuous, very impatient man, quite a man of action, really. He went to New York and there he was welcomed as a hero by the Clan Nagail, John Devoy, the old Fenians and their dreams about Ireland. My goodness. And uh, they introduced him there to the um, to the uh, German ambassador to Washington. And he was enthralled by Casement's plan. Casement's plan was, we are going to have a resurrection in Dublin. And we, I want to, your permission to go to Germany, recruit the Irish men that are prisoners of war. It's now the First World War time. And set up an Irish brigade and bring them back to Ireland. And we will create such a diversion that Britain will have to take troops off the Western Front to deal with the resurrection in Dublin. So... That was the story. Now, 
Caseman spent, I don't just uh, be all dated, but Caseman spent, in fact, about eight, 16 to 18 months away from Ireland, and he was kind of out of touch. And Clannagale really were a kind of a mixed blessing. They were very old-fashioned. They were very, you know, they felt that this rebellion would be quite easily handled, and this was now was the time to do it. While Britain was occupied in the war, this was the time. But... As America was about to go into the war, somebody tapped John Devoy on the shoulder and said, listen, just a minute now, you're trying to negotiate with the Germans and America is about to go to war against the Germans. I think you guys want to cop on and change your tune. So uh, fearing that he wasn't getting much further, um, casement went to Germany itself. Again, he was well received. He kept propagating this was their plan, there'd be a resurrection in Dublin. But things weren't working out so well. And in this book that um, Owen and Neve O'Darty have edited, Voices from an Irish Free State, they're quoting from somebody I never knew, a series of essays written at the time or shortly after the success of the 1916 Rising. Um, this was a book uh, supported by the Irish Free State, actually. Um, I read a very interesting article by uh, Agatha Bullet Graspisch, a German-American uh, German who was living in Berlin at the time and befriended Casement. And by golly, he needed friends because things didn't work out very well. The Irish Brigade idea was a disaster. Um, even though he spoke to 2,300 Irish prisoners, nobody but 53 of them said we would come with you and form a brigade. So that didn't work. The others were afraid to join a brigade because, you know, they were part of the British Army, whether they liked it or not. And to go against them to fight on the other side, they would have been accused of being treasonous. You know, it might have made um, difficulties at home. And anyway, Things didn't work out for Casement. And he did ask then to send me back to Ireland. And just before he left for Ireland, he did get word from Clan Nagale that, in fact, a resurrection was planned. The Easter Rising was planned for Easter Sunday. So he begged the German authorities, get me back there. I must stop them because there's no help coming. He actually wanted the Germans not only to supply weapons, but to supply the Irish Brigade, as he called it, but to supply something like 40,000 German soldiers and their officers and explosives to come over and to lead the rebellion, because he felt without that kind of German help, you know, a rebellion yeah. would not succeed in Dublin. So I could write a book about it at this. You could, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's sorry, a terrific story. Sorry to go on, but it's a great story. And Case yeah. is an interesting man. Um, you know, I just, you know, you know, he was a, a homosexual man, which was very difficult at the time. Don't forget the Oscar Wilde trials were the 1890s. Um, yes. It must have been very scary time for homosexual people. Um, Caseman's health was poor. Uh, he had suffered from malaria from the time in the Congo, but uh, he must have been mentally distraught at what he was trying to do, the fact that it was a failure, and then his rush to get back to Ireland in time to tell them what he thought was to stop the revolution as it could not possibly succeed as he failed 
uh, in getting the German help that he expected to get. And as we know, he came back to Ireland and was arrested. But anyway, sorry to go on about it, but uh, he is a very interesting man. And he was executed, as we know, and uh, I think he was regarded as the 15th man executed as a result of 1960. The rising, yeah. 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 And they reinterred him. They brought his remains back to Dublin. That's many, right. Many years later. I did talk about yeah. that last time. I know, 1950, yeah. 1960-something, I think it was. Yes, very dramatic times, bringing yeah. his body back. There wasn't much left of him, the poor man. He was buried in no. in Pentonville Prison. But right. uh, they, they brought back a section of that particular ground. Yeah, gosh. You see, I, I do feel, Tom, we're so used to Ireland being... Ireland as it is today, and and that it's a happy, I think we're very happy living here. I'm certainly very happy to have spent my working life in Ireland and in Galway in particular, but we forget the effort that was required in 1916 to move this forward, this great ambition that was there for all those centuries. The attempts that were made previously, many of them failed, but to get this one off the ground you know, in bad circumstances where they had poor weaponry, bad communications, and yet, you know, they, they did their damnness, there's no question, and to show great courage, courage as far as I'm concerned, you know. Yeah, I mean, if you consider the group I was talking about, the Salt Hill Development Organization, I mean, yes. that's the, in the 40s, they were there in the 40s and early yeah. 50s, yeah, uh, but they were working to improve our lot and our lives. And yeah. as you or I walk the prom and rejoice in where we live and how blessed we are to live in Galway, I agree. Yeah, I uh, so. uh, you know, I, I think it's right and fitting that we pay tribute to these people. I to agree. Our antecedents. Yeah. And uh, yeah. whether they fought in battles or wars or whether they just worked to make yeah. our lives better, to ensure that we had a better quality of life. Yeah. You know. I think that's absolutely true. And, I, you know, I'm not saying that in a, you know, in a narrow sense, a narrow nationalistic sense. I'm saying it in the general sense that, you know, the, the, the generation that went before us really were wonderful. And we're talking about two generations before us, you know, that yeah. risked everything. And remember, life was normal. And yet these men stood up. I'm always told somebody was who knew Pierce or their father knew Pierce that, you know, he was very annoying at meetings. They'd have meetings and there'd be the end of the meetings and Pierce would stand up and he'd talk and they'd say, ah, oh, Pierce, sit down. Ginny Max, will you sit down? You know, he was going on and on and on. Yeah, yeah. And it's these people that went on and on and on that did affect change. And the changes, as you say, we rejoice in and we enjoy today. There's no question. Yeah. Yes, yeah. thank God. Yeah. Well, listen, Tom, I think we have more than enough for this week's paper. There's, <laughs> there won't be enough space on the page to hold us both. But there look, never is, but sure, that's okay, Ronnie. That's all right. We, 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 we've managed so far. Thanks, Tom, very much. I'm looking okay. forward to seeing your stuff. Here's to next week. You betcha. Take care, yeah. Tom. God bless. Bye-bye.